0: Andrew, here we are, man. Yang speaks. It's happening. Yang
1: speaks. I speaketh the truth, <laughs> and you hear it. <laughs> you know what's funny is, so we've been going through various conversations, um, and a lot of them have been more like Yang listens, uh, because when I have a guest. I just want to hear them talk and I'm not an asshole. So, you know, if you have a guest in a podcast, you're not like, that's what you think. Well, here's what I think. That's not like, not that cool. Um, So, you know, it's, (laughs) this is what I'm
0: struggling with. I'm like, we can't have Yang speaks. If Yang doesn't speak. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) That'd be Uh, very, very uh, zen. (laughs) I suppose.
0: I guess. Um, So that's, what we're trying to do and we're going to, um, we have a lot to talk about a lot of things we want to dive into. I think what we're going to try and do is explore how we can do these episodes in a number of ways. And I think a good way to do them and Andrew and I were talking is that let's get Andrew's perspective on the topic of the episode and then work in the speakers as we go. So today, we're basically talking about current events and what's happening with you post campaign, coronavirus, universal basic income, and where the world is going, which is a lot.
1: It's an awful lot. And I have to say, I haven't been off the trail for that long. I mean, we suspended in February, and then there was like a, a wind-down period. And then we set up Humanity Forward as quickly as we could. We got it up, I want to say, maybe three weeks yeah. after we suspended – So, and that was a lot of work. uh, And I'm really glad because now Humanity Forward is doing work, trying to help us through this coronavirus crisis. And if we didn't have this organization set up, I'm not sure quite how we would be operating. So we've distributed $1.3 million to various uh, struggling Americans, most of whom were in the Bronx, because the first big thing we did was like a big slug of money to the Bronx. But now we've been... Uh, giving money to folks through Humanity Forward in micro grants of originally two hundred fifty to five hundred dollars, and then we shifted to uh, a range of between twenty and five hundred dollars because it turns out if you get twenty bucks, it's really uplifting. You're like, oh, well, that's nice. Um, and we thought that we could help more people that way, a little bit faster or a lot faster because we've been overwhelmed with demand and the need. Uh, it's a very, very hard time. Uh, so I'm thrilled that we were able to transition immediately into to helping. Um, we just placed our first PPE order to help the city of Detroit because I've been advising various people on how we can, or how not we, but how they can put resources to work most effectively. And so we've identified that there are certain geographies that you could save lives in by getting PPE to them because they don't have enough and their cases are starting to shoot up so I'm glad that we're doing what we can to help uh and there's just so much work I mean I I said to someone uh yesterday that like I feel like I wake up and I bail water all day and then I go to sleep honestly but 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 the fact that I I feel like I'm bailing water all day is actually uh an outgrowth of the fact that I feel like I'm one of the few people in our country who might be able to help right now despite the fact that most of us are trapped in our houses. So I'm doing all I can, and I'm super grateful to everyone who's donated to Humanity Forward that's allowed us to help. And you should know that beyond the coronavirus relief fund, we're working on other things that I think can help move us forward. And then there's the entire big picture. Well, what are we going to do to rebuild our country after this crisis starts to abate? Uh, Because the damage is going to be far and wide, and we're going to need to think much, much bigger about how we move forward uh, if we're going to start putting people in position to succeed and flourish, which is going to be a lot harder after millions of jobs get blasted to smithereens, which is what's happening right now. And most of those jobs, or if not most, many, some significant proportion of those jobs will not return. Uh, That's clear. And anyone who talks about this like it's going to be a rubber band snapping back does not understand how organizations or the economy or human nature work
0: so we started this like put in perspective and take a step back we pound the pavement in iowa for 17 days in a row or more than that and then we hit new hampshire we drop out of the race and instead of resting we're like we got to get an organization up and we started this thing thinking hey, we should do some like long-term, like double-blind studies on universal basic income, give millions away and track, you know, just prove to America how much this works. We set up the organization. I went to Mexico, man. I was like, I'm taking a vacation, it'd be great. We'll raise some money and we'll give these, we got plenty of time to give the money away. And I was in Mexico and the next thing I know, the president of the United States talking about universal basic income, and, like direct cash payments to people around the country um because of coronavirus so i don't know if you what you think andrew i feel like the best thing we did was set something up even though the part of the mission has changed essentially because we're now a relief fund in a lot of ways um but it seems like having that entity helped us at least get to action even faster than we thought even though i didn't really get a vacation
1: yeah i'm i'm thrilled that we're able to help people right now. And that it's not us trying to even, you know, get email addresses or whatever the heck, you know, or, or whatever like the ba- the basic things are. Right. Um, that we had some resources that we could put to work. And to me, if you have the ability to help right now, you have to help, there's just no choice. And so I'm grateful that we had enough of a starting point where we could immediately commit a million dollars and then raise more and start helping bail people out. A lot of people, it was very touching that they they say that we were the first to help because most people haven't gotten their stimulus checks as of this conversation. Right. Um, so we ran, and you talked
0: on the trail all the time about the impact of the fourth industrial revolution and automation devastating the American economy. And now you're looking at what seems like a lot of these trends accelerating. I think you said in another conversation that we're looking at like 10 years of damage in the past month or two. Like what what are you seeing in terms of the stuff you had talked about now being accelerated?
1: Yeah, I said 10 years of change in 10 weeks, which is what what this is going to end up being. So you know though, all those brick and mortar malls and stores that were on the edge, a lot of them are gonna close. Macy's just furloughed the majority or all or nearly all of their 130,000 employees, how many of those stores are going to reopen at full strength and when? I mean, a lot of those people are never going to come back to work. And you can multiply that times all of the other retailers, all of the restaurants, all of the bars. I mean, some of them will reopen when the time comes, clearly, but some of them won't. And there are many small businesses that are in the same boat. You had... The vast majority of Americans living on the precipice before the crisis. And then, if you just turn off everyone's income for a period of weeks or months, then all of the fragile businesses die. And the strongest businesses just get stronger. Amazon just set an all time high, their stock price, as of today, this conversation. I think they're hiring another 75,000 people. So if you were to to see the Amazonification of the economy that has been ongoing, where a third of America's stores and malls were going to close over the next four years, they're going to close right now, essentially, or they're closed right now and they're never going to reopen. You have many, many companies that are figuring out how they can do more with less, how they can shrink their workforces, how they can have everyone work remotely ongoing so they don't have to pay for real estate how to automate a lot of their processes. And I have a friend who advises major company CEOs who said that all of the CEOs are telling them we're going to shrink as a result of this. We're not going to bring back a lot of people. We're going to automate processes. Uh, This is going to speed up the progress of the fourth industrial revolution where more and more companies realize that people are often just a drag on their numbers really. And one of the big misconceptions out there is that somehow when you invest in a company on the stock market, you're investing in job growth. You're investing mm-hmm. in profit growth. If there's a company that can do more and become more profitable with fewer employees, then that's the way the company is going to go.
0: The job loss, yes, it's going to accelerate terrifying. But one of the things you talk about a lot is the human cost of that. So I would love your thoughts. Like what do you you talked a lot about mental health on the trail. You talked a lot about social stabilities and families. Like, does that accelerate too?
1: Yeah, all of it accelerates, unfortunately. Uh, and so we, the, the trends that I was concerned about in my book uh, are now all the more pressing and prevalent. And certainly the automation of jobs is number one and the need for universal basic income. But the the, the declining marriage rate and fertility rate, mental health crisis, and the mental health crisis is going to explode through this time. Our use of the crisis text line, which is a service if you're considering doing yourself harm, has more than doubled during the crisis, which makes sense because we're all anxious and depressed, and a lot of us don't know what the future is going to hold or even where our next paycheck is going to come from. So the trends that I, I was most concerned about are deepening or speeding up. Uh, it's going to be really, really difficult to reverse many of them without some kind of Marshall Plan scale reinvestment in our way of life that looks different than previous plans. And the first step in that plan, in my mind, needs to be a universal basic income where you put resources into our hands and then allow us to Rebuild communities from the ground up, from our people up, our families up, build this trickle up economy. Uh, I I certainly think big public works are going to be a part of it. Infrastructure is going to be a part of it. Making our society more environmentally sustainable in big ways will be a part of it. But a lot of it has to start with recentering our economy around ourselves, our people, our families, rather than imagining that what's good for these mega corps is going to somehow trickle down on us. I okay, so for
0: those of you, I'm gonna assume I know there's a lot of people who were familiar with your campaign listening in. For those of you Yang Gangers here, we love you. Um but for those of you not, do you mind just quickly high level Andrew, telling us what what you mean when you say universal basic income or UBI for short?
1: Universal basic income is a policy where every member of a society gets an amount of money to meet your basic needs, no questions asked. And during my campaign, I was running on a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for every American adult starting at age 18. Uh, And that may sound familiar because now we're all getting uh, (laughs) $1,200 thanks to the stimulus checks. So this plan is not my plan in the sense that Martin Luther King was for a version of it. Thomas Paine was for a version of it. Richard Nixon, Elon Musk, uh, there are a lot of people that have come out for it over the years. Barack Obama said that at some point that uh, we'd have to consider it. And I don't want to put words in his mouth. But like when I talked to Barack about this, um, he said that what really hit him was during the recovery from the financial crisis, where a lot of companies weren't employing people the way they used to. It's like you sort of rebuild these companies and then they don't hire everyone back. And so that really had a big impact on him. Uh, We're gonna see the same thing now. It's like these companies are gonna rebuild and they're not gonna employ people. So a universal basic income is an idea that's been with us for a long time. And uh, the central idea is simply to put money into people's hands so that they can meet their basic needs every single month. Uh, And now I will say that my thinking has shifted where I believe that the freedom dividend of $1,000 a month might not be sufficient. Like I I think that we should have that as a starting point, Um, but I'd now be open to more because the problems are just so much more pronounced in terms of people's ability to supplement that income. Uh, I I imagined that $1,000 a month on top of your gig or temp job could work. But at this point, your gig and temp job's gonna disappear. We need to get healthcare for everyone. We need to put money into people's hands. Uh, And then we need to rethink how people uh, get both money in their hands, but also how people find structure, purpose, and fulfillment beyond a nine to five that frankly is not gonna exist for more and more people.
0: One of the things that you talk about on the trail and always scared me is that you said people would say, Andrew, I love your idea, but you're ahead of your time, right? Or not yet. And you would say, uh, if we go too early, what's the downside? Like people get a little extra cash. We alleviate human suffering. We start to pilot and work out the kinks. If we go too late, you can't always put the genie back in the bottle because, the, the jobs are gone. Other systems are collapsing around you. In addition to the financial strain, are we there? Are we? Is that why you're reconsidering? Like, where is the genie out of
1: the bottle already? The genie right now is making its way up through that narrow part of the lamp. You know what I mean? <laughs> the the genie out of the bottle that that I was imagining was essentially the disintegration of society, uh, riots, food riots, uh, just complete. Uh, disregard for um, promises that are being made from institutions where people are just like, hang it, like, you know, I just got to get mine. It's got to take care of it. Uh, And after trust erodes to that degree, it's hard to restore trust. Like it's much easier to uh, undercut something than it is to build something. And the, the surest example of this for anyone who's a parent listening to this is like, you know what goes into parenting your child. You know, You know what goes into parenting your child over like, days, weeks, months, years, and the rest of it. I mean, it's, and uh, not to compare the two though I I do compare them sometimes, but the same is true of like building a business, building a restaurant, building, like there's so much work that goes into it. And it's much easier to firebomb the restaurant than it is to build the restaurant. You know what I mean? It's much harder to uh, try and um, say nothing's working than to make something work. Uh, And so there's been a constant struggle or back and forth where, you know, we we believe what our leaders tell us. We believe that, you know, these institutions have our interests uh, at heart. And one of the things that scared me the most was that there was a very, very clear trend in institutional mistrust, where the confidence we have in our schools, our hospitals, our Congress... Uh, our media, like all at essentially record lows. Uh, and it's very, very hard to get things done if no one has any trust. So the genie getting out of the bottle to me was just a complete demolition of public trust. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very hard to, to rebuild. Like, it's not like, oh, you go too late. It's like, all right, now we're gonna give people money. Then everyone's hunky dory again. I mean, like it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's much more than the money. It's like functionality. You know, it's like like if, if I go to someone who's like a drug addict on the street, like, uh, you know, who's been homeless for months and I just like start throwing money on top of them, like that doesn't necessarily solve their problem. You know, right. like right. yeah, like in an ideal world, you'd get to them well before they reach that state of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of those people were in a, a position at one point where if you got a thousand bucks into their hands, they might not be on the street. You know like that that actually could be that was one of the most interesting things i i I, because one of the great things about running for president is i got to talk to people who are trying to solve these problems everywhere and when i talked to someone who's trying to work on homelessness they said you know the surest way to like combat homelessness is to get people rent money when they're about to become homeless i mean it seems like the most obvious thing in the world but they were like you know how to fix homelessness just get someone that rent money when they're about to be evicted it's, it seems so obvious. But if you wait too long and you go to them six months after they've been homeless for a while, you know, it's much, much harder to get them into that position because at that point, even if you gave them that same amount of rent money, they might not be able to pass whatever check that the landlord has. They might not have the furniture. They might not have any kind of like, you know, like uh, credit to be able to pay their utilities, like w- whatever it happens to be. You know, it's like it, in so, so many ways, it's much cheaper and more efficient to keep things functional than it is to try and make something dysfunctional functional again. So the tone
0: on universal basic income has shifted. Um, I think in a good way, probably because of the level of dysfunction happening right now. I think people are starting to come around, but my question, so like for me personally, it was crazy. I was literally on vacation and seeing the president of the United States and his, Is inner circle talking about direct cash payments. We faced a lot of backlash while we were running, right? Because it's saying you guys socialism, you guys this, you guys that, and now you see less of that. Andrew, is that because we're in desperate times and people are looking like, this seems like the only solution that can work or why? Like the pope just came out for ubi like why in your opinion why is the tone coming around how is it coming around and is it because of desperation they think you're a genius like what what's your attitude towards everybody else finally warming up to this
1: well certainly it's terrible that we're in these circumstances but it's common sense that if you're going to send home tens of millions of people you're going to need to send the money if they're going to be able to feed their families pay their rent uh think about the future not freak out, not go outside and, you know, just take something, you know, you're going to need to send them money. And I'm thrilled that we spent the last number of months and years mainstreaming an idea that became vital in the time of crisis. Now, uh I think people are seizing on it now, certainly because the crisis makes it uh, crystal clear to anyone with any rationality at all that the best thing you can do is put money straight into people's hands right now in this time it's the most effective thing uh and to the extent that our campaign helped speed up that realization i'm really grateful to everyone who supported the campaign uh throughout we used to joke uh
0: when things went our way we'd be like (laughs) campaign of destiny um but now it's not really a joke. I mean, I felt, I felt called to do it. I know you did. Um, the timing seems, you know, in some ways perfect because if a little later, I don't know if UBI would have been on the table in the war room, you know?
1: Well, some people online are always telling me on suspend, unsuspend. I think that's starting to fade now that we're at at this point. Uh, (laughs) so, you know, you talk about the entire like perfect timing, people like, Oh wow. If like, you should have you stayed know, in. Only this, yeah. I should have stayed in, and you'd be like front runner and whatnot. I mean, I don't think that's the way it works. Sorry, um, but but uh, I, you know, I, I certainly think that you and I were called to do what we did, and yeah. uh, that uh, there have been a lot of people, obviously, that um, were telling me that I I was right uh, after the fact. Uh, now that we're all in this position, right? I do think.
0: Well, in the early days, I used to say to friends or people criticize, that you call them whatever you want to call Andrew, but you, you can't call them wrong. Um, and sadly, we're right faster than we probably want anyone want to be. But um, I do think. Directionally, as a country, if, if it takes something like this to get us there, hopefully we can. You know, it's one of the reasons we have this podcast, Andrew, is to talk about what needs to be talked about, you know, um, so I will here's a i'd love to ask you andrew as we as we do this is okay we just but by the time this podcast comes out americans are going to just start getting their first stimulus check um and sadly many are going to get them too late um but let's say they pay their first bill with the check um hopefully the government gets this care act and these small business loans out there um and they start distributing money but this isn't going to be like a I don't think you think this is a band-aid solution. Like the right, you think this is a band-aid solution. This isn't a long-term fix. My question, I think, I think most listeners want to know is where, where do you think we go from here? Not just on universal basic income. I'll do. I think that's a big piece of this. But what, what happens next, society? There's long-term effects here. Where do you see the world going post COVID nineteen?
1: A lot of it depends on what you're talking about uh, when you say post COVID nineteen and what this time frame looks like. No, like so. I'm a positive guy uh, and so one of the things you try and look at is like okay this is a terrible pandemic it's killed tens of thousands of people it's caused the loss of millions the evaporation of millions of jobs trillions of dollars worth of economic harm so let's look for like the good thing that's going to come out of it or that's going to come after it and i think that's essentially bullshit. is like this this, this shit is terrible uh and you know, trying to look for the silver lining in like, uh, this like historic shitstorm storm, um, is generally stupid. <laughs> like, like it's, <laughs> it's just like interviews
0: and I, now I know what, I know what you're really thinking when I do that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like, like if you look at the scale of the, uh, harm, yeah, uh, and the, the loss of opportunity, loss of life, loss of, mental health uh loss of um many relationships uh it, it's heartbreaking man i mean i wake up every day and it, it's just like i um, feel this sense i have to do something because i just see how clear like see very clearly how this traumatic and devastating this is going to be for a generation um so then you ask okay like what the heck comes out of it or what comes after so here's, here's how I see this stuff playing out. So we're all trapped inside right now. And the government at some point is going to say um, some of us should go back outside. And right now it's essential workers. Eventually it will be people who have clear evidence of being immune to COVID-19 primarily because they have the antibodies, they had it and were asymptomatic or they had it and recovered. So those people will be good to go uh a little bit sooner and more quickly than others there are going to be some people in some environments that are good to go more quickly than others there's some more industries that are going to be identified as important i believe uh the there was one person who suggested you know what we can get back to construction and that might seem a little strange but then his argument was well a lot of that stuff is happening outside uh you're not in each other's faces if everyone has masks It's not going to be like crazy community spread. Stagnant air
0: and stuff, right? Yeah,
1: like, you know, it's not like, you know, it's a a sort of thing where you might be able to actually do some work. Uh, There there are certain other environments that you might reopen. So there's going to be this phased in reopening over time in certain industries, certain pockets, certain geographies that have just been spared uh, the ravages of COVID-19 to a higher degree. And then we're, we're going to see fits and starts of this kind of revival. Uh, it's not gonna be enough to you know, get the economy back to any kind of like health or functionality, but it'll be a little better in that, like there'll be more people mm-hmm. doing work in various settings. And uh, a lot of it's going to just be fits and starts, certainly for a lot of this year, 2020. Um, in the best case scenario, The virus clears and we're actually able to to become more operational this year Um, the thing that most health experts are very concerned about is a resurgence in the fall Mm -hmm. so apparently warm weather does slow the spread somewhat Uh, and so the odds of there being like uh, an improvement in the summer pretty significant and so we're going to start feeling better uh, come memorial day june like it's going to feel a little bit like we're getting back in the swing of things, I believe. Um, but then there's a significant chance that it comes back in a wave uh, come the fall. That is what happened with the uh, Spanish flu. Like, uh, th- like the, the fall wave was the most lethal in that particular case. Now this is not a flu in the same way, um, but apparently some of the trends uh, are reflective. And so a lot of it hinges on when the heck do you get the vaccine? And then after you get the vaccine, when does the vaccine get distributed to us? And it's not easy to distribute a new vaccine to tens, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, And the time frame you have on the vaccine is, let's call it 12 to 18 months, would be a a Herculean scientific uh, and industrial accomplishment. So that's where we are right now is that you imagine that uh, there is like a pre-vaccine and a post-vaccine period. The pre-vaccine period could be significant and measured in months or more. Uh, And then that transitional period uh, is going to be very, very uneven. So that's the path ahead for us in my view. And then what happens after that as a response is dependent largely upon who controls the government. And I have a very clear vision on what I would do if I were in charge of government entirely um, to try and help us recover from this time. I believe we need a Marshall Plan scale rebuilding of this country from the roots up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly a universal basic income would be a very big part of that trying to advance our uh, ability to address climate change would be a big part of that measuring our economy around our own well-being so you'd have a massive investment in mental health resources uh, and uh, universal health care would be an enormous part of that i mean the the fact that we don't have accessible health care has clearly made this crisis worse because there are many many americans who were scared to even interact with the health care system because they didn't have the money they thought to pay for things. And yeah. we all knew that Trump was bullshitting when he was like, if you need a test, you can get it. Like test for everyone was like, no, no, that's not true. It's like I showed up to my local doctor hospital. I, I, you know, they would just be like, no test for you unless you yeah. have clear symptoms or there's something else going on here. I mean, I, I read this heartbreaking story about this guy who had his cancer surgery pushed back because, and he, he's, you know, he could like die of cancer. Uh, but it got pushed back because he shows up to the hospital and they're like, Hey, can't have surgery without a coronavirus test and we don't have the tests. So go get it someplace else. And then he went to a doctor who had the tests and the doctor was like, I am not allowed to give you the test unless you have coronavirus symptoms. And he's like, well, I don't have symptoms. I'm trying to have surgery. And he's like, can't help you. So then they had to, to, to delay his surgery. And then he was like, Hey, could the coronavirus could kill me even though I never got the coronavirus. Uh, So, so there, there are clearly massive problems that existed with our access to healthcare. that universal healthcare would not have alleviated all of them, but it certainly would have gone uh, a great distance. Um, so these are some of the big things I know I would do if I were in charge of our government. Uh, and I would spare no expense on a national rebuild. Uh, I would try to even make it a global effort because Climate change is not something that we can resolve alone. I mean, we're a relatively low proportion of global emissions. uh, You know, we're we're, uh, outweighed by the rest of the world. So I I have a very clear vision of what I would want to do. And I'm actually going to be delving into that vision more and more because I think it's really important to have that vision. Um, I'm considering calling it the great rebuild. Uh, And uh, that's where our energy should go. Um, but the fact is you need to have control of government to be able to enact the great rebuild uh, and the big variable is what does the election look like in November do we win uh, by we I mean like the non-trump <laughs> like 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 do we win or does Trump win uh, and uh, that, I mean that's a massive variable you no, know, uh, I mean, there are actually in a couple of ways like two, two huge hurdles. Number one is we have to defeat Trump. And that is not going to be easy. I now mean, I think he just reported over $200 million or the Republicans reported $200 million plus in fundraising yep. in uh, Q1. So they're going to have a lot of resources to make their case. Plus, he's the sitting president. Um, so he's got the bully pulpit he can use every day, as we're seeing with these briefings. Uh, So there's a good chance he wins, even though I think it's ridiculous that he didn't have a chance, given that his incompetence and dishonesty uh, has helped lead us into this crisis that, you know, that we lost two months that we could have spent identifying infected people and then contact tracing and trying to contain the spread before it got to community spread, which is what sent us all home. Um, But there's a real chance he wins. And then, so let's say we defeat Donald Trump. That's major variable number one. And then major variable number two is, what does that government look like? Are we united? Are we divided? Are Democrats united? Are Democrats divided? Is there a vision that people can get behind? Are our leaders sensitive enough to the damage that has been done to our people and our communities that they realize that this is the time to enact a, a great rebuild? like this National Rebuilding Project? Um, or do they just get trapped in, uh, you know, their usual uh, partisan battles um, while the, the damage continues to uh, destroy lives, you know, in, in ways big and small? Um, so those are the two big variables. I mean, mm-hmm. if you ask me, like, what comes next, uh, you know, the, those are the things I pay attention to. And this is something that I know many people who follow me, um, might not want to hear, but the government is going to be the center of the universe in many respects for a while to come um, because it's going to have an outsized role in the economy and our recovery and what the world looks like going forward. Uh, that's, not a, that's not an appealing message to many people, I know, um, but it's going to be our reality for, uh, for quite some time.
0: One of the things I want to do with this podcast, I know you do too, is not have people come here to be uplifted and pandered to. I feel like they want to listen to this for real information um, and the truth, even if it's hard to hear. Let me ask you this. I think this is actually kind of fun. Though. President Yang, Oval Office, day one. You find out coronavirus is a thing. and exists. You've talked about this before with me, but I'd love you to share. First moves, your thoughts, and then what do you start communicating to the people um, as information comes in?
1: So, do you mean back in January when you get reports that this is yeah, happening? Yeah, let's say like in- to
0: start, right? I think um, how do you how would you approach getting the information, and what, how would you approach what to communicate and action steps to take?
1: You know, it's tough because a lot of the information out of China you could not trust. I mean, uh, one thing that other countries did that was awesome. I don't know if we could have done this. Is they just sent people there? <laughs> they sent people to Wuhan and be like, "Hey, go find out what the <laughs> hell's going on over there." <laughs> So, so some of the countries that really got on top of this, like Taiwan and South Korea, uh, had people on the ground who saw that shit and were, went back to Taiwan and South Korea. It was like, hey, FYI, don't believe anything they're saying. This thing is a buzzsaw and we need to go bananas in terms of uh, like tamping down travel, tracking anyone who comes back, testing the crap out of everyone who might even have had contact. Um, and... Uh, and so that that's the ideal first move is you see this is going on and then you see the Chinese government is uh, dissembling or trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and you'd be like, you know what? Like the, you know, if you imagine if you watched World War Z, it's like a Brad Pitt type person or character right. that you just like send to send to Wuhan, be like, yo, <laughs> see what is going on right. and Somebody report trust, yeah. back to us. <laughs> so so that would be um uh you know the the one of the first things you do. Um, second thing is you talk to your your uh, Dr. Faustis of the world and your um, medical professionals and you say, okay, um, what are the steps that we can take to prepare for this um, if it does come? I mean, pretty much you, you look at it and you'd have like five things at once. Like uh, num- number one, you're trying to get information about what the heck is going on over there so you can be prepared. Uh, number two is you coordinate with international partners so you can information share on, on what uh, what's going on in other parts of the world. This is one reason I'm so angry that we're so asleep at the switch because like shit went crazy in like half a dozen countries and we still acted like nothing was happening. Right. Uh, it was nuts. Um, you know, num- number three, you do everything you can to limit uh, the, con- the the infection uh, rate of people who are coming into the states. So that is cut off travel from affected areas. Uh, that is uh, put people through screenings if they're coming from someplace that uh, might be affected. That is self-quarantine measures where you say, look, you're coming back from some place. you're an American citizen. So we're not going to like not let you come back, but guess what? You're going to have to like hang out in your home for two weeks. We're going to check up on you. Uh, and we're going to monitor every person that you came into contact with just in case uh, right. you might've uh, come home with an extra bug. Um, and then, number five, you assume that none of that's going to work, and you just start trying to build the, the infrastructure around testing, uh, ventilators, hospital beds, PPE, uh, and everything else, uh, just assuming that you know, it's very hard to completely eliminate uh, a contagion from like, a, like getting to a, a country the size of the United States of America. Um, so you would ideally do all these things at once. Um, and in terms of the, what you communicate to the American people, you get up there and say, hey, FYI, there's this virus that is wreaking havoc on other parts of the world. You do not need to worry about it just yet in the sense that we like seem to be safe and secure. But if you have been to one of these places, you need to take this very seriously. And uh, self-quarantine, we're going to screen you. If for some reason we don't know who you are, contact this. We all have to be very vigilant to take this very seriously to try and minimize disruption um, and maximize our our people's health and safety. Uh, And just come out with it very early and say, look, if we stay on top of this, we can escape the fate that has uh, befallen some of the other countries. Um, If you look at the countries that really had a great time of it, they just tested the heck out of everyone Mm -hmm. early and they had some built up experience from SARS. Uh, so, you know, it's not quite apples to, um, apples like expecting us to be on the, as on the ball as some of these places, but South Korea literally had like drive through testing pretty quickly. Like, like anyone who wanted a test, uh, you know, could, could go get them and you'd get results pretty quick too. Uh, so like it's unfathomable to me that uh that other countries had that capacity and we still don't uh you know it's like if we had the right relationships we could be like what's that like you have this set of tests um all right like let's see if we can replicate we can uh make the proper investments you know we can import we can do whatever it takes so that you know if you can imagine a world where like when someone was landing from an affected area, then like there was like someone waiting there with a test for them, yep. you know, like I mean, like that, that's like the dream. Um, but that's something that other countries actually managed to deliver on to a significant measure. What role we
0: had on the campaign, we had, and, an interesting... and one thing okay. about this,
1: too, Zach, I want to say it's like we were in Iowa when the first reports of this shit were coming out. Like, yep. I, I remember seeing the reports. Uh, And like, I think I tweeted in late January, I was like, this coronavirus is very serious because like I saw like this thing just seems like, like it's, it's crippling, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, anyway, so like, you know, I I dearly wish that I had been president, frankly, when this stuff was going on, because I genuinely think that we might all be outdoors right now. um, And everyone would think that it's like, oh, it's, you know, like, Oh, that like, they they sure were alarmist about this thing. Cause it's funny, like America would never have known what we would have missed if we would have missed it. Uh, but now that we're trapped in our homes, we're like, oh, like, you know, if someone could have done something to prevent it, imagine all the harm that could have been prevented.
0: When we were on the campaign, we, you and I both learned a lot about our media um and the incentives they have um i think we had our own projections and then we learned <laughs> a lot more about them as we went what what role do the media play in in the information game here I, and i asked that knowing like i'm trying to figure out who i can trust you've got the president saying one thing cdc saying another and then every network giving their own spin or take on it um how have you how have you thought about that and if you're president I, mean, I know you've had a lot of ideas about the media but what would what would you do given the, the hand you're dealt with our current media?
1: I mean, these journalists are at a real disadvantage. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think having a really trusted, credible scientific authority that everyone's listening to is the best way to go. I mean, if you're an effective president, uh, you're listening to those self-same people. Uh, and then in many ways, you're just delivering those talking points uh, to the American people because the facts are the facts, the science of the science. Uh, and you know, you, you, you shouldn't have, uh, people having mixed messages to that extent. And then if you're the press and you see this, you're like, well, the scientists and doctors and public health officials say this, the president is saying something that's essentially the same. And so then we just report that, uh, you know, and, and that would be the ideal situation. Um, and then you'd have a much higher degree of consensus. I think, sure, sure, you'd have some people that are like, "Oh, this is like, mm-hmm. you know, this is nuts. This is wrong." But I, I think that would be a really um, minor or small group of people if you had a very consistent message, right?
0: Like, I think you see some governors doing that really well, where they're consistent, in their message, and their states are shutting down appropriately or acting appropriately.
1: You know, and this is just something I always want to like, you know. I learned so much running in this campaign, but one of the things I figured out that I actually found very frustrating initially. So I'm like an operator, an entrepreneur, I've like, you know, done a few things. And I joked all the time about the fact that running for president was like an exercise in awful, awful leadership. Because if you had a CEO who all they did was like run after TV cameras all the time and like try and get on the air with their point of view, their company is probably crumbling behind them. You know, it's like if, if any CEO is like, just like that much of a publicity hound, one, they're probably not a really great person. And two, their organization's probably not performing well either. Uh, and so I would joke all the time that like, you know, it's like this this process is like the opposite of what good leadership looks like. Uh, and there's something about politics too, where you see it on the, the governance too, it's like, like you have the projecting of a particular message that's consistent and a particular emotional tenor. You're like, oh, okay, this person has their shit together. I trust them. I believe them. I feel better about our situation. There's that entire thing, and and that's crucially important in many ways. That that's a lot of what we're asking from our politicians from right now. Uh, but then there is all of the uh, executive operations of trying to make things work right. Uh, you know, in, in a way that like the best government would be of people who just who frankly prevented the need to ever have to project calm because they like kept the problem from happening. It's like like, like there, there's, there's this thing that I found frustrating. I still do somewhat. Is you have like the 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 communication. Uh, And the projection and the conveying of certain feelings and messages. And then you have the actual get shit done uh, operations work. Um, And so much of our politics seems based around the first one. It's like this person makes me feel good. This person does not make me feel good. Um, And most politicians at this point have just shrugged and said, okay, like that's the realm we're going to do battle on. Like, uh, you know, you have your uh, symbols and words and feelings. I have my symbols and words and feelings. And then Hang the on. consultant will tell me, you know what word really works well? This one. And then you're like, ooh, I'll use that word. Uh, you know, and, and that'll really send a message to this subgroup and the rest of it. <laughs> uh, and, and it just seems, and it is just such bullshit and like it and what what's funny is that like i don't think i ever ended up subscribing to that stuff because like you know no consultant ever said say this word or any of that jazz um to me or if they did like you know you kept it from happening or i ignored it or whatever True. um but, but what, what's funny is like 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 i just did my like you know say what comes naturally or just like express what i believe or think um and then that became its own set of like words and symbols <laughs> in, yeah. its own, in its own way. Uh, so that there was like a real education, but that, there was a big part of me that thinks like, man, like, you know, like ideally we wouldn't have this world of like competing press conferences. You know what I mean? Like There's just like an objective reality. We settle on how to improve it as fast as possible. Uh, and you know, that, that doesn't strike mm-hmm. me as particularly political.
0: It was one of the things we struggled with on the campaign, Andrew, is that you, we had, I mean, you have, we have our consultants like everybody does, or you have experts and advisors that say.
1: No, just to be clear, we didn't have shit for consultants for a long time we, oh, yeah. until we started until doing we well. Cool. And then the consultants came out. Then and then came. even then, we blew them off most of the time and uh, just kept them in a box and said, <laughs> just leave us alone. And every once in a while, we'll like need you to do something. That's um, true. But on that, shut the hell up.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, yes. Um, and I was a driver of that in many ways. Um, but I, I will say there was an element of like the part of we couldn't just, this was the hardest part. Like you had the right ideas and you were just like, I don't care about how, we just need to solve them. And one of the hardest realizations for I think both of us, like in order for that to gain more traction and get more popular we have to make you more popular right you had to you had to use your words and symbols and engagements and debate sound bites and, and all these things that um and not even any people's fault in some ways just stuff that we could do to cut through the noise or mo- mainstream um and I, I frankly i thought that sucked like it like the raw yang was always like the uh, the most pure to me but i did understand it um it was one of the things we had to like argue about on the campaign trail, you know, or just find that balance.
1: Well, one of the things that really hit me the hardest was, uh, that universal basic income started out with an approval rating in Iowa of like 25% according to our polls. Uh, and then we got it all the way up to 66%. It's like a 41% increase. So like two thirds of Iowans were like, yeah, this is a good idea. And then you ask them, why do you think it's a good idea? And it's not any of the arguments that we made. Like uh, the the reason why they thought it was a good idea is that they started to like Andrew Yang and say, it's like, oh, this guy seems uh, smart and well intended. And he says it's a good idea. So now I think it's a good idea. Like uh, and like that was why they started to like it. Yep. Like it, it wasn't like, oh, this would help me. Oh, it would like improve mental health. They would create jobs like none of the stuff that we said actually m- moved the needle like the fact that eventually it just became comfortable with Andrew Yang and they liked me they didn't like me enough to like you know frankly like slap me in Close as uh, president yeah. at least I mean like uh, only 5% yeah. I mean I mean 5% <laughs> thank you to the 5%, thank it you it. 5% I have a feeling if we ran that if we ran that back now it would probably be a lot higher but That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but like that the, that set of polls demonstrated to me what I knew and then I have to relearn over and over again which is that people don't subscribe to ideas people subscribe to other people Mm -hmm. that you that in order for an idea to take off the idea needs to have a person uh that is carrying it around or like is wrapped up in it or that you associate with it um and without that association the person to the idea then the idea doesn't uh move past a certain point and it took me a long time to figure that out, even though I figured it out before. Like the, the same thing happened to me when I started a, a nonprofit, where someone said to me, It's like, hey, for the nonprofit to do well, like you have to become well known, respected, admired, which arguably never happened, but whatever. <laughs> nah, <laughs> so, <you're> so, so, <laughs> so uh, but like he was like, You know, these two things are tied together. Like, and, and You know, I I, like resisted it then, too, because I was like, well, the idea of the nonprofit should stand on its own. Um, But then it turns out that the two things were linked. And the same thing was true in our campaign where there's universal basic income, which I think objectively is an awesome idea. And like anyone uh, looking at it should just be like, yeah, we should do that. Um, But it takes humans to persuade other humans that ideas are worth exploring. And
0: that that core right there was the hardest for you and I and the team to like get used to, you know, you, was, I mean, you just generally like going from, you know, being able to do whatever you want at any time to walking down the street and people asking for selfies the entire way down New York city. Right. Um, and because it had to be, it had to be you, um, it had to be a person. Um, and what started as this campaign idea of ideas, um, ended up having to be a campaign of ideas, through Andrew Yang, um, which is a different campaign. A different of ideas game. and people. Yeah, of well, course. And,
1: and this is one thing that happened with us. With So this is Zach's story. Um, so I'm not a particularly uh, vain or fashionable person, I suppose. And then uh, Zach would just sort of shrug and be like, that's cool for a while. And then at some point in the campaign, Zach was like, hey, uh, we're going to get your haircut. Like, hey, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Give you like a consistent look, <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, we're going to, you yep. know, get you a math pin instead of like the campaign button or whatever it was, where where Zach started trying to identify variables to um, clean me up and professionalize me that left on my own, I might never have actually recognized or done. Now, like, I'm not an idiot where it's like when it's suggested to me, I'm like, well, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> um but but like it it, it's but so that those are some of the adaptations we made where you start and we started out and what's funny is like i compared myself to bernie i was like bernie looks like the freaking you know scientist in back to the future like no one gives a shit like uh (laughs) you know (laughs) like like why would anyone give a shit about like you know my hair like who cares um but then like there was a point where we said it's like well maybe some people do care it's like maybe people don't you were new too
0: so bernie bennett sent it for years and had a national run in 2016 um if the first oddly like your first 30 second impression of you on tv and they don't like your hair they don't like your shirt or whatever it's um it, it would weigh it would it would um I mean, wait till we run again, man. I, I picked out a stylist and everything. We're going all in. I'll make you a GQ oh, no! Before,
1: before you know it. I mean, the biggest, <laughs> the, the biggest adaptation, I mean, there were so many adaptations for me running for president, but the biggest one was wearing so much fucking makeup. Like I would go, I mean, not to say like I would just put on independently, but if I had a TV appearance, <laughs> they would just like put makeup on and then I would just be like, all right, I guess I'm going to keep this you on. You would keep it on, which was hilarious. Well, um, I'd keep it on half the time because I had another TV appearance yes, later yeah, that day. Right. So I'm just like, am I really going to remove the makeup and then like get it on again? Like, plus between the two TV appearances, I probably had like, you know, half photos, a dozen and, like social yeah. photos and social media things. So I'd just be like, I guess No, it made sense. Uh, it was, but but it was, but it was odd because like you know, like you you don't you're not used to that stuff in <laughs> like everyday life.
0: It was, it's like for me, like knowing you're an operator, you're. An entrepreneur you're a builder you're the person that leads the meetings like that's who you've always been to me right but before i before we ran by the end man like you didn't get to breathe about five people telling you where to do it you know um and that was wild and you were like it took a while by the end of it you're like all right just tell me where to go tell me where to go yep what am i doing here yep got it um
1: Which is yeah, I was joking that that like my job was just to be a grenade and then be like tell me, tell me where to blow up, (laughs) like roll me into the room. Yeah, wasn't even the room. It's like roll me into the auditorium, roll me into the TV studio, (laughs) roll me into the like. But you you understand why the ideas don't come through?
0: Why you could just like hey, just have a compelling 15 minute stump speech that people like you. Um, You can see how a politician gets cut that way.
1: It makes sense. And I understand what politicians go through now. I understand why politicians are so guarded and scripted because, like, you go off script for a minute and then people freaking, uh, you know, like jump on you for it. And I'm sure most every major politician had that experience early on and was like, and none of that. that
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to run everything by five people before I do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw a story about how, like, Hillary Clinton, when she was tweeting, I think there were, like, you know, four or five people that would check every tweet yeah. or whatever before it went. And then Donald Trump it's obviously zero. Um so I joke that the right number is somewhere between zero and five. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, you were pretty on no, we Twitter. Though for the record there's zero on my Twitter too, but I'm yeah. a very different man than Donald Trump True. Um, I mean it does like I mean I'm I will uh, say
0: it does cause the staff like anxiety, um for sure. Um in the sense that you know Twitter doesn't matter it only matters in the extremes right like if you say something really offensive um you know uh like a racial slur or something then it matters um but on the other end if you're like
1: what kind of what kind of like crazy person would be like putting racial slurs and in, right in agreed so from, there's a like, but there's uh, a certain
0: end of like um the, the staff would be like, what is Andrew tweeting about? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. You want to ask him? Like, I don't
1: know. Um, Yeah, well, well, sometimes sometimes <laughs> I would be guilty of tweeting without context where you, I'd tweet something and it would be like you're confusing yeah. as to what that was based upon. Yeah. You know, the, the fact is half the time I was in some freaking, you know, SUV or bus in uh, Iowa, New Hampshire and like I'd be tweeting about something like totally innocuous. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> or uh, you would tweet about a policy and like the policy team didn't know anything about it and you're like you're like you know someone told me about this awesome idea i think it's brilliant we should do it and you were right the policy team's like eh, maybe and you're like whatever i lo- i you know as we as you know the campaign manager i thought it was a good thing to let you be you um and fight the battles appropriately um it was a lot of our comp strategy right we'd be like andrew what do you think about this current event and you would give us your thoughts and we would say yes no maybe so and then say go forth with that right
1: um well i remember some of the policies that you're talking about like one was uh you know i think we should legalize online poker yeah. or legalizing psychedelic mushrooms or decriminalize opiates for personal use i mean all of those things were from interactions with people uh where like a military vet would tell me it's like hey the only thing that works my ptsd is psychedelic mushrooms and i was like well that's a pretty good argument for at a minimum <laughs> yeah. vets being able to have psychedelic mushrooms because Uh, you know, if, if it's effective uh, and you've tried everything else, he's like, oh yeah, I have, I believed him too. I mean, he'd been through, you know, a lot. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I'd learn continuously. Uh, and you're, and like, hopefully most of the time, like, you know, I'd, Try and well, actually, there are definitely times I didn't tell you when I was going to tweet something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that was yeah, fine. That, that like, definitely I, happened.
0: We could do a, a whole, and we we probably will do a whole episode on like campaign recaps and what we learned and things like that. Um, one, I think what this helped us, Andrew, is like one, we had you, and two, we were building on the fly. So we got to like I have like a lot of thought. And I think a lot of the team would have a lot of thoughts on how to structure a presidential campaign in the twenty first century. Like, I think there's a lot of things that a traditional campaign just doesn't need or needs less of. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so I, we had the, you know, we had you who knew a ton of policies up the, off your cuff. So having a deep policy team wasn't always, um, you know, used the, to the fullest extent, even though you had some of the brightest minds on that team. Um, things like that. Um, comms, you were, and I spent a lot of time on comms. We didn't need like a full end comm shop, even though we had really talented team. So stuff like that, I think are, you structure the team around the candidate, um, as opposed to the other way around. Um, I think is one of the definitely not.
1: Yeah, definitely not structuring the candidate around the team. That's right, well, yeah. because this candidate can't control. You know, just, said, <laughs> <or> just said, <laughs> this candidate. I mean, you know, it's like we we labored in anonymity for a good year. You know. Yeah. And then the consultants came in and be like, "Do this, do that," and be like, "Ah, fuck you." Yeah, we like, ah, <laughs> work for us.
0: Remember, you called. You called us. Remember, or we we hired you. Yeah, seriously.
1: Yeah, <laughs> those guys. I mean, not all of them are bad. You know, you know, but yeah. We yeah. ended up weeding out I, you, bad but ones. You see, <laughs> but you see how politics get so screwed up quickly. Uh, you know, it's like there there uh, there are all these institutional forces that come into it. You know, it starts out as something deeply personal becomes deeply institutionalized very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, I think we stayed true to ourselves the whole time. And even as we started doing better and better, we stuck to what got us there.
0: I think for the most part we did, yeah. Um, what's crazy I mean, about The console? biggest thing is we
1: had like a clear vision, clear set of ideas. Yes, and even you a now why. it's like yeah. those, those ideas now have more and more uh, power and currency because now we see very clearly that they were necessary. Oh my gosh!
0: Can you, that, I was I was thinking about this morning, man. I was like, can you imagine what solutions would be thrown on the table if you hadn't run?
1: You know, I I don't know, man. I shudder to think. Well, certainly, even now, it's like if you look at it, the vast majority of the money in the CARES Act, the stimulus package, didn't go to us. You know, yeah. so like you can you can imagine an even lower proportion going to human beings, which would have been an utter disaster. Um, as it is, I think we can dial up the level of money that's coming straight to people. I think we're going to get another check mm-hmm. coming our way pretty quickly because it, this 1200 is not going to work for very, very long.
0: If your outlook is correct, yeah, we're going to have to do something. And I hope they continue to turn to your playbook, you know.
1: Um, yeah, we're going to keep on building out the playbook, man. That's one of the things I'm excited about doing is – Uh, is establishing a vision for the Great Rebuild and just giving people more and more tools, like letting people know it's like, look, UBI is vital and necessary, and we should do it. We should do it very big uh, and consistent. Uh, But then we have to do this too. We have to uh, make progress on healthcare. We need to make progress on climate change. We need to make progress on infrastructure. and We need to measure our economy differently. We need a massive mental health initiative. Uh, You know, like these are things that uh, we need uh, we need to start using technology in our favor. We need to start having intelligent moderation of some of the downsides that come with technology uh, because to the extent that there are downsides with the use of technology, we're about to see them all turned up to 11 because we're all trapped inside. Uh, so that there are some very, very big issues on the horizon that we need to try and uh, build the playbook for as quickly as possible and uh, that's one of the things I'm excited about doing right now is building that playbook. If you're excited about finding out what that playbook is, you know, it's like if you listen to these conversations, we're going to be talking to people who help us build the playbook. Uh, and it's, it's going to be ongoing. Um, but I, I'm excited for it. You know, we need it.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our first episode of Yang Speaks. It's going to be fascinating. Um, We'll have fun conversations, sometimes be serious, sometimes I'll have experts on, sometimes I'll have celebs, sometimes be strangers, randos, or nobody, just Andrew. Um, Either way, the goal is to talk about the future and outline a playbook that we as a country and society desperately need to follow to improve all of our lives and even the tough times. Have some fun. And frankly, Yang is low-key hilarious, so I hope you guys get a good laugh too. Tune in next Monday. Yang Gang is out.